Amen. Amen. Do me a favor, if you can, and try to track down a Bible. We have Bibles here in those baskets down by your feet, and I'm going to take you into the Christmas story, which is Luke chapter 2. The Bibles that we have here, that would be on page 832. 832. We're going to read the story, we'll pray, and then we'll look at the story together. Luke chapter 2, starting in verse 1. In those days, Caesar Augustus issued a decree that a census should be taken of the entire Roman world. This was the first census that took place while Quirinius was governor of Syria, and everyone went to their own town to register. So Joseph also went up from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea to Bethlehem, the town of David, because he belonged to the house and line of David. He went there to register with Mary, who was pledged to be married to him and was expecting a child. While they were there, the time came for the baby to be born, and she gave birth to her firstborn, a son. She wrapped him in clothes and placed him in a manger because there was no guest room available for them. And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. This will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in clothes and lying in a manger. Suddenly a great company of the heavenly hosts appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest heaven, and on earth peace to those on whom his favor rests. When the angel had left them and gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. So they hurried off and found Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in the manger. When they had seen him, they spread the word concerning what had been told them about this child. And all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds said to them. But Mary treasured up all these things and pondered them in her heart. The shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things that they had heard and seen, and which were just as they had been told. Let's pray. Lord, we ask this afternoon that you would speak to us through your word, God. We thank you for Christmas, and we thank you for the joy and the hope that we have as a result of this incredible message. God, would you use this time to speak to each of our hearts, please? In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. We're going to look at this story, and we're going to look at it with uh, kind of three different headings. We noticed that there was an event, that the, the child was born, and that's described in verses 1 to 7, and then we see the explanation of what that means, that it's, a, that it's a reality that affects all of human history, and we're going to look at the angels describing that for us in that explanation. That comes in verses 8 to 14, and then finally we're going to look at the response in verses 15 to 20. So the event, at the very front end of our story, we see that, um, that the event is being explained. And we're told about these governors, and we're told about them kind of on the front of the story. And, and what happened back then was they didn't have, you know, wristwatches or iPhones with their calendars in there kind of keeping schedules. So they had to, they had to determine, you know, how, how to mark out time. And one of the things that they would do is they would look to significant events or significant people to help them understand, oh, this is when that happened. So I was thinking about this uh, and just wondering, what are some of the major events that we kind of look at to try to give definition to our lives? About 15 years ago, I was directing an action sports ministry. I was doing, you know, skateboarding and snowboarding and wakeboarding. And I was down in Orlando, Florida, doing this wakeboarding sport. 
and uh, pursuing that really as a kind of as a vocation. And I remember being at a park. It's kind of like, a, like we might think of a skateboard park like the one on Forest Hills Road. It's kind of like that, but it's for, for water sports. And so I was out at this park, and a car full of professional wakeboarders shows up. And they show up, and I'm out there riding, and I remember getting back to the dock, and this guy named Daniel Watkins, a professional wakeboarder, comes up to me, and he says, I, that was awesome. I was watching you ride out there, and... And you, you reminded me, actually, I thought you were this other guy who, who happens to be my favorite pro, Keith Lyman. He said, the way that you ride reminded me of Keith Lyman. We dro- when we were driving up and watching you, we thought you were Keith. And at that moment, I'm so starstruck. You know, this 21-year-old kid looking at this professional athlete who's saying, you remind me of my hero, my pro- that, that uh, professional wakeboarder. And I was just flying high. Like, this is awesome. And I wonder for you, what are some of those big things that you, you would think about and go, man, if this were to happen in my life, that would be a defining feature. These are the things that I'm pursuing. This is what I'd love to have happen in my life because if that were to be the case, then I would be totally happy. Now, here's the case. 15 years later, both of those pros are retired. One of them is not even, you know, in the industry anymore. And then, uh, you know, I wakeboard occasionally. I try to go out to the wakeboard park in Rockford as often as I can. It ended up being four or five times this year. And now the 12-year-old kids who are out there doing all of these stunts that I look at and I go, are you kidding me? Why are you so good at this? These things that in the moment felt so big to me, all of a sudden gained perspective. And the thing that I want to encourage us to think through during our time together is that maybe the stuff that we're currently pursuing is not the most important stuff. And maybe the reality that we need to see this Christmas is that the the main event to orient our lives to is actually what we're looking at here. That these kings, this ruler, Caesar Augustus and Cyrus, these different individuals, they now are, are simply a foil for a story. I don't know much about the dudes other than the fact that they come at the beginning of the Christmas story. And and the thing that people back then would look at and go, this is so important. This was the king during that time. This was the ruler during that time. They look at now and they go, I don't even really know what he was all about, but but he's just a place marker for this greater event. As we go through the next 20 minutes or so together, I hope that you would reflect on what you are orienting your life to. What is it that you think, if you were to accomplish, would give you significance and purpose and meaning? And what I want to suggest to you as a pastor is that the event of Jesus Christ, his, his birth, his life, his death, resurrection, that if you will orient your life to those things, then you will find true significance and true purpose and true meaning. We find that there are these small K kings in this bigger story about the big K king, Jesus Christ. And I hope that you find that to be true. At the story, in the story, we also see that God is in control. We see him at work in history, that he's actually moving and directing things in such a way to accomplish his purposes. But when you read it, you might think, how is that the case? Because things are not going very well. Look at verses four and five. It says, so Joseph also went up from the town of Nazareth and Galilee to Judea, to Bethlehem, the town of David, because he belonged to the house and line of David. He went there to register with Mary, who was pledged to be married to him and was expecting a child. If you're tracking with the story, There's a lot of things happening in here where you might think, is God really at work here? Is he really in control over their lives? Because there are a lot of things that are happening that just feel unfortunate. 
that Joseph is pledged to be married to this girl and he finds out she's pregnant with someone else's child. And I don't care if an angel visits you to kind of coach you through that experience, it's still going to be a very tough uh, road ahead for you, right? That he hears that his wife is expecting with someone else's child. Not only that, he, there's a law now that he has to go to another location to be registered. That he's in his hometown and he's got a very pregnant wife, but now he has to make this trek by foot to this, to this other location that's, that's further away. We've got some people from our church right now who are in Madison. They had their child up in Madison, but they live in Beloit. And they had to go up there because of these complications in the pregnancy and, and there, were, there were some risks involved with it. And so what happened was they got admitted to the hospital and they had to stay there. For the, for the duration of the pregnancy, for, for weeks and weeks and weeks, for over a quarter of the year, they've been up in, in Madison and they had their son Solomon, but they still have to be up there. And one of the things that I was noticing about their life right now is it is very inconvenient. It's very hard for them to do life remotely, to be in a different location, trying to figure out how to manage and how to work and how to do all these different things. And the same thing is true for Joseph and Mary. They're no longer home. They're in this other place where they've had their child. And so all of it kind of screams, is God really in control? And is he really working for their good in this situation? Now, some of us, we walk in this afternoon, we're in the same condition. We kind of walk in and we might wonder, man, is God really in control? Because there's a lot about my life that feels chaotic. There's a lot about my life that feels inconvenient. And, and what we see here in this story is that even in the midst of all of that confusion and chaos and difficulty and pain, God is at work because he brings this couple to this place that he himself has predicted would be the, the place where his son would be born. God's at work. And the thing I would say to each of us in here this afternoon is God is at work in your life too. This isn't a unique situation that God directs and guides and leads. The fact that you're here is evidence that God is working in your life. The fact that you're here is not some incidental thing. It's the reality that God is guiding and leading and directing you to a moment like this to reflect on whether or not you fully embrace this child, the king. God is governing history. We see as the story progresses that it doesn't get a lot easier. In fact, we're told that it's very challenging. Look at verses six and seven. It says, while they were there, the time came for the baby to be born. And she gave birth to her firstborn, a son. She wrapped him in cloths and placed him in a manger because there was no guest room available for them. Not only are they away from home, they're also in a place where they can't even get the proper housing for them and for their child. They're, they're having to have this kid in a, in, a, in a backwoods area, in a barn. You know, we, we talk about the Christmas story and they're kind of born where the, the animals are hanging out and he's placed in a manger. And so we find out that the challenges that are going on for this couple. And, and again, we're just reminded that God's plan is so counterintuitive to our plan that a lot of times we think if we could just manage, if we could just figure things out, if we had a, a, a well-defined, organized plan for our lives, then, then we could be happy. But we see, here, we see here in this story that God is able to work in the messiness and in the chaos and in the difficulty. And for me, this Christmas season, that feels very profound. That I'm going through life and right now I can't say I've got everything figured out. I've got my life well organized and managed and I'm just, I'm just kind of operating, you know, at full strength and just doing everything well. I look at my life right now and I go, it's a little chaotic. 
as a little out of control. I feel, I feel the messiness of it all. And God is able to say, this is how his wonder-working power operates. That he steps in to the chaos, he steps into the brokenness, he steps into the disappointments, and he's able to, to glorify his son in all of that. And that's what we see here this afternoon. And so if you come in this afternoon and you're just looking at your life going, I'm here, but there's a lot that's not working. You might be surprised how God is at work in your own life. So the event is the arrival of the son. She has the baby boy. She wraps him in clothes and places him in a manger. And then we have it explained for us in verses 8 to 14. The angels show up and they begin to tell us the significance of this event. Look at verse 8. And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. Now, I've heard a lot of sermons. I've heard a lot of Christmas sermons. And one of the things that uh, I've heard a lot of is that shepherds are, you know, kind of low, low, low class. And, and I think that's just kind of what preachers always say at this point, because we don't know what else to say. But when I look at the Bible, I'm actually like, huh, preacher, or shepherds, I'm sorry, shepherds are, are people who have a significant role in the Bible. You've got You've got Moses was a shepherd. You've got David who was a shepherd. You've got God describing himself as a shepherd. Then in the New Testament, you find out that that, that, that category, that, that metaphor, that job, that task becomes um, a metaphor for what it looks like to do church leadership. I think that shepherds are, are a significant class of people. But they're out in this field watching their sheep, and all of a sudden, these angels, this angel shows up and declares to them, the significance of, of what's going on. Look at verses 9 and following. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. They see this angel, and they see his, his glory and his radiance, and they, they hear his voice, and they are terrified, and the angel comforts them. In verse 10, it says, The angel said to them, Do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. This will be the sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and laying in a manger. So the angel begins to explain, here's what's going on right now. There's a child that has been born, and this child will cause great joy for all the people. This event that just took place is significant for everybody. This is a, a, an event that has global significance. All the people will see him and recognize who he is and what he's done. And that's why we're here in McChesney Park this afternoon, because of this event, that all the people are now looking in this direction that God has sent his son into the world. This child is Savior. He's Messiah. He's Lord. He is Savior. This is such a profound truth that God is revealing to us. When he sent his son into the world, he was telling us something. I'm going to do something profound. We live in a world of brokenness, do we not? Things are not the way that they should be. Relationships are fractured. People get sick and hurt. Things are going on in our world, and we realize we're, we're living in this experience that we know because there are glimpses of glory. We know that we're made in God's image. We know that there's beauty in God's creation, but we also know there's something wrong about it. And God, when he sends his son into the world, he's declaring, I'm doing something about that. We sing about it, joy to the world. There's a, there's a, a line in there, Ellie was singing that a minute ago, but, but there's a line in there that talks about how he comes to make his blessings flow as far as the curse is found. The fact that Jesus showed up is evidence that God is saying, all of this hurt 
and all of this pain and all of the brokenness and all the things that we experience that we know are not the way they should be, God is saying, I'm doing something about that. And then the way we know that to be true is because he sent his son to accomplish it. That Jesus is the savior who is bringing about redemption and hope and glory and he's transforming us and he's transforming the world and he has come as the Messiah, as the Savior, as the Lord. And I want to encourage you to consider whether you've accepted him as Lord and Savior. Not only is it a cosmic reality that brings great joy for all the people, but it's also something that can be personally applied. That we recognize he saves us. That he transforms us. That he changes us from the inside out to become more and more like him. And that's a beautiful and a good thing. So the message is profound. The event is that the child is born, but the explanation is that this child is the savior of the world. It goes on to say, suddenly a great company of the heavenly host appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, glory to God in the highest heaven and on earth, peace to those on whom favor rest. And a whole batch of a heavenly host shows up and they begin to sing about this thing. That, that Christ has come, that, that the child has been born. They begin to sing. This is crazy, but Christianity is a singing religion. And we designed this service knowing that there were going to be a lot of guests and maybe you don't ordinarily sing. And we said, let's just kind of build this thing up so that by the end of it, you realize, huh, I might want to join in this chorus. I might want to join in this thing. I'm not a singer. I don't sing in the shower. I don't sing when I'm driving in my car. I don't, I'm not a singer. But when I show up at church, I raise my voice because I understand the significance of the message. I raise my voice and I feel bad for people around me because sometimes when I sing loud, it's just me yelling the words. But I'm just, I'm, I'm just getting on board with the fact that this is a singing religion and it is a beautiful thing that we have here to know that the, the child of God has been born and the angels themselves are singing about it. That's how profound it is. The angels are looking at this thing that we have as a church and they go, we're going to rejoice in that. We're going to sing about that glory to God in the highest of heavens and peace on earth to those on whom his favor rests. So we have this singing religion. We're going to invite you to sing here shortly, but, but I want you to see this message, this, this explanation of this event, man, this is something to rejoice in. And I hope that this service and the rest of our time together helps you to embrace the reality that this is a, an awesome message to be sung about. Well, here's the response of the shepherds and Mary. We see it in verses 15 and following. The shepherds, look at verse 15. When the angels had left them and gone into the heaven, the shepherds said to one another, let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. When they hear this message, when they hear the angel describing what's going on and they hear the singing about it, here's what they do. They actually go and examine whether or not it actually took place. The, the angel said, you'll... You'll know this to be true because you will find a baby lying in a manger. Like there's proof, there's evidence. Now you don't normally wander around and find babies in mangers. If you did, you would think that's unfortunate. But these guys know because the angel told them when you find this baby in a manger, you are finding the savior. And they say, look, we're going to go. If this is true, we're going to go and examine it. We're going to go there and see if we can find this child. And they do. They find this child. And the thing I want to suggest to you is, if you're here today and you're not a Christian yet, and you're hearing what God has declared in his word about his son, please examine whether or not it's true. 
I mean, if this is true, if this story isn't just this fairy tale, make-believe thing, but it actually happened, then maybe the most important thing you could do with your time and energy and with your life is to look into whether or not it took place and to determine for yourself, if it's true, are you going to surrender your life to this reality? Well, the shepherds do that. They went for it. They examined the case and they found this child lying in a manger. Verse 16, so they hurried off. They found Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in the manger. So my question for you is, are you going to do this? Are you going to look into the claims that are being made here? The shepherds become advocates for the message. Look, look at how it goes right away in verse 17. When they had seen him, they spread the word concerning what they had been told, what had been told them about this child. And all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds said to them. They hear the message, they see the child, they immediately go out and start to tell other people. That's how this thing works. If we're Christians, if you're a Christian in here, if we believe this message to be true, we want to share it. If this is true, if if Jesus really did come, and if he is Savior, and if he is Messiah, and if he is Lord, we want other people to know about it. Friends, that's why we're here. You know, we're here as a church because we want other people to know the good news. I'm well aware that you can drive less than a quarter of a mile down the road and there are other churches, good churches. I'm well aware of that. I don't think that this is, you know, some unique thing we've got going here. The reason why we started a church, the reason why we ask people every week, come in at 6.30 a.m., set everything up, tear everything back down. The reason why we do this and put so much work and energy and effort into being here is because we know that churches exist to tell other people the news. And in McChesney Park, there are a lot of churches, but there are also a lot of people who don't know Jesus yet. And we're here to change that. And we want to make this news known. So they hear, and they begin to go and tell other people that news. That's why we're here today. Now, Mary, her response is a little bit different. Look at it in verse 19. But Mary treasured up all these things and pondered them in her heart. Her response to everything that's going on, she was told the news by the angel earlier, She has the visitors of the shepherds, and she begins to treasure this thing up and just reflect on it. Now, some of us in here, we need that permission. I know in a church, it's easy to kind of say, make a decision right now. If you believe the things that have been presented to you, make a decision right now. But I want to give you permission. If you're like me, maybe an internal processor, you need some white space just to think. And you're not just going to make a decision on the spot, especially one with eternal significance. I want you to do this, to take these things, treasure them up, and ponder them. Think about them. Don't just consider this a one-off service, but take the things that we're seeing here and think about it and reflect on it. Here's what I'll do for you. If you're willing, if you want to keep the conversation going because you want to know more about the Christian faith, I will open my schedule to you. If you've got questions about the Christian faith and you want to reflect on them and you want to dialogue about them, I'll I'll have coffee with you. I'll have meals with you. I'll open my schedule to you if you will take these things, treasure them up and ponder them in your heart. And as a church, we will be here for you. Take your time praying and reflecting and thinking about whether or not these things are true and whether you would surrender your life to Christ. But finally, we see the response of the shepherds in verse 20. The shepherds returned glorifying and praising God for all the things that they had heard and seen, which were just as they had been told. Here's what they do. They worship. They recognize all that has been communicated to them in this beautiful gospel truth that the the child of God has been born. 
He is the Savior. And they then glorify and praise God. And that's what we're going to do here in just a moment. We want to glorify and praise God. We want to lift our voices and acknowledge that, that if this really did happen, and it did, then we celebrate that. Then we lift our voices to let others know how worthy and valuable God is. So here's what we've seen, and I'll invite the band to come up now. Here's what we've seen. We've seen this event, and the event of the arrival of the Son of God reminds us that God is at work. He was at work then. He's at work today. God is at work in our world. We looked at the explanation by the angels, and we found out that God is a saving God, that he is doing something in our world to bring about redemption and salvation, and he is inviting people to himself by placing their faith in his son. And finally, we see this response, that the appropriate way to respond to this message is to recognize that God's saving work is worth celebrating. And so we're going to celebrate right now, and that's why we have Christmas, because it is an awesome message. Let me pray. Lord, would you help us to embrace the reality of Christmas with all of its chaos and mess and difficulty and pain and just recognize, God, that you, you're at work, you're alive and active, and you're, you, this is kind of what you do. You step into the midst of all of that, and you help us to, to draw our attention to your Son. Would you help us as a church and as individuals who are here today, maybe guests and visitors, Lord, would you help us to see the beauty of your son, the Savior? We pray in his name. Amen.